Jowson, sweetie, please drop that beat to start the show. The Romantic Truth Podcast extends a loving and warm welcome to listeners in celebration of our sixth year of the show. We wish you a promising 2024. Please be advised that due to the language, subject matter, and topics of the show, adults 18 years of age and older are highly recommended for this content. Uninterrupted and commercial-free listening. Now, since all of that is over, I would like to take this opportunity and introduce you to the host of Romantic Truth, Jaosan in Las Vegas. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Hope everybody's doing well and keeping it real as usual. Now folks, ultimatums. <laughs> now, some of you have written in about how you've been given these by people that you are in relationships with and some of you have just started relationships no more than six months and you're already given ultimatums. Now, an ultimatum, I look at it more or less like extortion. Nothing less than that. Now, one thing I agree with the United States on, I like their policy when it comes to terrorists. They don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, that's the same way I treat ultimatums. You're not that damn important that you're going to try to extort me to do something in order for us to have a relationship. It's a mutual thing. If we can't see each other respectably, if we can't meet each other on a happy medium of some sort, I don't need your ass. Plain and simple. You may be important to yourself, but you're damn sure not important to me. Not that important. And you have to be able to express that. If not, the person's going to take you for granted. And then you're going to have a relationship filled with ultimatums. The or else factor. And these ultimatums can go to include things such as intimacy. Uh, whether or not they're going to commit to you. And here's the thing that you have to realize. These are people that don't like to compromise. These are people that say, well, if you cheat on me again, you're gone. Why give them, why to give them an ultimatum? The person's already cheated on you. There is a likelihood they'll do it again because a snake doesn't stop producing venom just because it bit you. So why are you going back to test the snake again? If it's something that's intolerable, you're going to go and eliminate the threat immediately. And the way you eliminate it is by breaking up. However, some of you, you turn the other cheek. And as I told you before, I don't mind a woman bending over and turning the other cheek. Spreading them would even help. But going through the same thing again to get the same result it's a likelihood put it to you this way if an insurance company had to take a policy out on the person that cheated the first time 
Don't you think their premiums will go up the second time they cheated? It'll probably increase on the first time, but damn sure on the second time. Which means now they know that there's a risk that they have to take. And one thing that you have to realize, in many cases, your relationship is never the same. Because that's one part of your relationship you got to kind of omit or put in the recesses of your memory. Years ago, there was a person that I knew of. He cheated on his wife when they first got married, I think within the first year. They had a lavish wedding. The wedding was well over a million dollars. I mean, her family went all out. They spent money that they didn't really have to spend flying people in that really didn't deserve to be there. Only my opinion. And um, he cheated on her with the woman, one of the women he danced with during the reception. One of her friends. He cheated on her about a year after, I think, close to a year after. She found out about it. She was heartbroken. Don't do it again or else I'm leaving. We need to go to counseling and all they did, all of that. And of course, the family shunned him. Her family did. Well, a few months later, happened again. Another friend of hers. And of course, she scorned him. He begged his way back. And then it became a chronic function in their relationship until she finally filed for divorce. You have to remember one thing, folks. It has to be a voluntary thing to get involved in a relationship with a person. If you're trying to show your bias or push it one way or the other, it's never going to work out fully for the two of you. Because that person's not really fully committed. And some of you ladies will go and pressure the man into getting ready for a wedding after a year we're getting married, after a year of dating. He may not be ready in that year. But you've been waiting, your biological clock is ticking, and damn it, you want your day. And folks, please keep that in mind. Wedding day. Would I spend a million dollars on a wedding? Nope. And the only thing the people did basically was just sit there and eat at the reception. Half the people fell asleep during the wedding ceremony because it was so damn long. I'll admit everybody was nicely dressed. Bridal court and everything, nicely dressed. Nice venue. But what I couldn't understand was, okay, you spent all this money, but it was still obvious they were trying to find out about each other still. They hadn't really known each other well enough in order, in my opinion only, to make those vows. 
they were still in their infancy when it came down to feelings and those kind of things. Because there were family members during the reception that was asking him awkward questions that you could tell he had never thought about. Well, you know, teal is her favorite color. He learned that that evening. One of the family members revealed it. And Monica nudged me in the side and she said, they haven't known each other that long. I said, you gotta be kidding. They're getting married. They're supposed to know at least certain things about each other. A lot of things they didn't know about each other. But she was the one that was pushing it forward. So, fellas, don't allow based on a crisis of sorts. And many times those crises are manufactured. And a lot of times it's how they feel in the moment. I had a friend of mine one time, his woman wanted to get married. They had only been dating about six months. And she was always telling them, let's go to the mall. They have lunch or they have dinner. Reason why she wanted to go to the mall because it was in proximity of the jewelry store. And you know, if you go to a jewelry store in a mall, you're gonna pay out your ass for something that may not be worth what you're paying for. And during that time, chocolate diamonds were the big thing. Remember those? And what she wanted to do was to have a chocolate and red diamond combination for her engagement ring. I think it was K Jewelers or somewhere they went to and she saw this ring and she wanted to talk to the guy about designing it and all of this stuff. Well, the ring came out to close to $10,000 because they had a lot of baguettes and a whole bunch of things on and it was supposed to have a certain weight of gold. And my friend called me up after the date that he had with her on that time and he says, um, man, old girl wants a $10,000 ring. I said, now let's look at this. I said, I want you to factor this in. You make about $3,000 a month gross. So that's about three months salary. Usually that's about the average price for a ring. Well, that's gonna run you a little bit more in three months, right? I said, now, you've only known this woman about six months. He's like, yeah, but you know, she's really nice and she's doing all this and she's doing all that. And I asked him an inappropriate question. I said, have you guys had sex yet? No, man, why you ask me something like that? That's embarrassing, you, you get nosy. I said, no. Let's think about something. Would you buy a car before you test drove it? Nah, that's different. How so? Well, you're buying something that you're going to use every day. I said, well, think about it. The two of you are going to be using each other every day once you marry, right? Yeah. I said, now I want you to think about it for a moment. 
What if she's inadequate for you in bed? Uh, we'll work it out. I said, no. What if she's too small down there for you? Or what if she's too big down there for you? And you're insufficient for her. And yeah, you know, and then he hung up. He didn't want to talk about it no more. About two months later, she invites him over to her family's house. Mother was cooking dinner one Sunday. He called me up after that. That's when he got the grilling from the family. She had bigged him up and made it seem to her family that he was the one that wanted to get married, not her. Dad took him aside to have a talk with him. Why you want to marry my daughter, et cetera, et cetera. Put him on the spot. It's all her idea. And once he tried to explain that to the dad, dad didn't believe him. Now my daughter, she she's very picky about who she would marry. He's going on and on and on. And what he didn't realize was daughter was code switching. At home with her family, she's the humble, sweet little daughter. Around old boy, she's the assertive one. And so he comes back, he gives me a call. He said, man, let's go have a drink at the bar. All right. So I meet him over there and he says, I don't understand this shit. She wants a ring by the end of the year. She wants it at Christmas. And she's letting her get married next spring. I said, think about it. She hit you up six months after you guys started dating. You still don't know each other that well. And he asked me about me and my wife, you know, when we got married. And what I explained to him was, my wife and I spent about 18 months together before we even thought about it. And then when we did marry, we then went, we went in with conditions. That if it wasn't gonna work, the last thing we were gonna do is stay in a dead marriage. We were not gonna be zombies. We went in with the understanding. Well, he thought he could do that with her. That went over like a lead balloon. He was talking about the pushback he received and how it wasn't romantic. And then she started her next phase, isolating him. So he was no longer allowed to associate with his friends anymore. And he had to hang out with her and her friends, her and her family. His family got kind of suspicious. His dad pulled him to the side and said, son, I don't think you need to do this. And of course, he didn't listen to his father either. This gentleman was 27 years old at the time. And so he goes on. And then the pressure changed from I know you want to marry my daughter. And it flipped to, 
What is taking you so long? So she went in and got all of the people from church. The pastor came in, talked to him. Made him feel guilty. Made him feel like he was nothing. But what she implied was that they were having sex. Which wasn't happening at all. He came close to marrying her. And then finally his mother took him to the side when she was making dinner one day. And she said, you'd be a damn fool if you married that girl. Now, his girlfriend never wanted to meet his mom. And she never did meet his mother. She met his, she met his dad, but never his mother. The mother invited her over several times to talk to her. Nope, didn't want to do it. Now, fellas, this is what I'm saying. When it gets to a point where a woman is playing a match game like that, making you the bad guy in order to get what she wants, trust me, she has already choreographed how that's going to function. These are the type of women, fellas, that you will see that will say they've been engaged God knows how many times and never married. These are the kind of women that are on a perpetual quest and they're going to expedite marriage. You go on a few dates with them and then they're talking about going to the mall. They're talking about looking at rings. They're talking about all this other stuff. In other words, what they want, they want the celebration. They want to be the center of attention for that day. And as men, we know that during a wedding, it's not our day. We're nothing more than the help. Because I'm going to tell you, before I get married, shit, I was going to weddings, women would invite me to weddings and shit. I'm going there looking at the women that I could probably deal with. That's the way it was. And a lot of women make the mistake. Well, you know, my girlfriend's getting married and you just started dating. My girlfriend's getting married, so uh, you can be my plus one. <laughs> and a lot of you ladies are actually thinking that you're gonna put pressure on them to think about marrying you. Let me tell you what happens with that. When single men go to weddings, they're looking to see who's out there and who's available because they know good and well there's going to be a higher percentage of women jealous of the bride and wanting to be in her place at that time with someone. He's not looking to get married for the most part. He's looking to see, okay, what ass can I tap in here tonight? What number can I get in order to tap later? So, it's highly unadvisable for you to take a man that you just started dating to a wedding reception or a wedding. All those girlfriends of yours that he's going to meet 
that maybe came out of town for the wedding. Hmm. He's gonna burn that image of that woman in his mind. Reason why I know, I've done it in the past. I remember one time a lady did that our first date. Do you have a tuxedo? Yes, I do. What color is it? Well, I got three. I have one that's white, I have one that's navy blue, and I have one that's black. We're the black one. So I did. I show up. Everybody else is wearing this, um, wearing their bow ties. And I had a dicky. White one. And she's like, oh, that's unique. I really like that. I really like that. What is that? It's a dicky. No, I really like that. And we went in. That was a conversation piece throughout the wedding reception. Her girlfriend said, oh, I really like that. What is that? And, you know, conversation piece we start talking. And she had this one friend. Oh, Diane. When I smelled that woman's perfume and the way she looked, the first thing I said, I had tunnel vision. The woman that I'd gone out with, she was okay, but I realized that we really didn't have the chemistry and she was trying to really make it there, trying to make it happen, but it wasn't happening. We just didn't have things in common. She was easily distracted. She could never focus. And so I knew then, I said, that's going to be a problem. You'd have a conversation with her. And before you know it, she's into that conversation. She's talking about something totally different. And so I said, well, okay. I can't deal with this schizophrenic type of conversation. And Diane and I talked. And she's like, well, you know, I'm moving to Los Angeles pretty soon, blah, 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 blah. No, oh, that's nice. And I could tell there was some attraction there. Well, needless to say, I got the earful. You were talking too long and too much to all my friends. And I asked her, I said, did I walk up to any one of those people and introduce myself? She said, no, you didn't. But still, you should show some respect. And I just went on and told her, you should have shown me some respect by not inviting me to the damn wedding. Now the people there think that we are on the verge of getting married from some of the things you've told them. Well, after all, that's where we're going to wind up, isn't it? No, we don't know each other that well. And I just had to tell her that night when I was dropping her off. I don't like you that well. I'm still in the process of seeing whether I like you or not. Well, why would you take me out on a date then? I said, was this really a date? This was more or less something that you wanted to do out of convenience. You didn't have to drive to the wedding. You had a plus one. So I served my purpose as being your placeholder tonight. And I just asked her, who invites a man on a first date to a wedding? Most women know better.
Well, my friend Diane got my number from some way. I didn't give it to her. Some way, somehow, she got my number. To this very day, I don't know how she got it. But she got it. Left a message on my answering machine. That was before we had actual cell phones. She left her number. I called her back. We talked for about an hour and a half. And I explained to her about some of the concerns I had. And she said, oh, she's been perpetually trying to get someone to marry her. He says, if you're smart, you won't. Now, this friend of hers, Diane, had known her for almost 10 years. And the problem was, like she said, she's going to rush you into things. She's going to put you in awkward situations where it's going to be a situation where you always have to make a crisis decision at that time. Now, I took that under advisement, but I said, well, you know, I'm going to see how things materialize. So she called me up one day, apologizing about taking me to the wedding, baptizing me to fire too soon. So we went to dinner. We get to dinner. What does she tell the hostess? And some of you fellas feel as though you're missing out. You're not missing out on shit. Trust me, you're not missing out. Well, the lady that I dated, she wound up getting married around August of that year. The marriage was annulled by November. He's the one that did the annulling. So you will run into situations where people are constantly pushing you forward. But the one thing you got to keep in mind you got to go at your own pace. And if that person doesn't recognize that you need some time, it's all about their agenda. You are irrelevant. We're going to talk more in just a moment. Now, another thing, too, that you're going to have to look at, gentlemen, you hear guys say, well, one thing led to another. It doesn't lead to another. I voluntarily fucked my life up by doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. You see, people get vilified by having sex in our society. A woman should be punished and have the baby regardless. You see a lot of that going on now politically. And half the people that want that to happen are the people that nobody want to fuck anyway. But here's the thing. If she starts telling you at first that you have to wear a condom with her, and then you guys are fucking on a regular basis and she said, well, you know, that's all right. I got my shots. I'm taking a pill. I got an IUD. You don't have to worry about that. 
enter at your own risk. And here's the thing that I will tell you, fellas. The first thing you need to look for is her level of enthusiasm as far as becoming a parent. Talk to her about it first before you have sex. If she's saying something to the effect of, well, I got my career and I just have family, kids, oh, that's on down the line somewhere. There's a good possibility she's being honest. What you need to concern yourselves with are the women that says, whatever happens, happens. And the women that say, oh, you know what? I would love to be a mom. Those are caution flags for you. Meaning that if she gets pregnant, she's going to have the baby regardless. That's the reason why I don't understand this whole hoopla about this whole abortion thing. Because if you look at it statistically, there are more women that have children than actually abort them. Most of the women that are going for abortions are going for two reasons. One, they're going to be complications. Two, the child is going to be beyond a special needs child in many cases. The mother's life may be in jeopardy. It may be the result of a rape or incest. But you have a group of people in this country that just thinks that every woman should have that child because of the numbers, especially if they're a white child, because they're afraid of becoming a minority. That's what it comes down to. Now, another awkward situation you may be faced with, fellas. You go on a date with the lady. Things are going well. She had just gotten out of a relationship not too long ago. This happened to me before. And she calls you up. And she says, um, let's go have lunch. Okay, we're going to go have lunch. But let's do it after uh, I need to go somewhere first. Hmm. Okay, where would that be? Well, I just need to go to the doctor and get a few things checked up. All right. So I'm thinking it's going to be just a regular general practitioner's appointment. We get to this place. These people got protest signs out front. She's walking up the walkway and doesn't want me to go in with her. I got to wait in the car. she walks in. People are jeering her and saying things. Now she was African American and Hispanic, biracial. Outside of the jeers, they really didn't uh, do anything to stop her. Oh, but when this white lady got out of the car and she went there, those, boy, those Christians, they hung around her and talked about how, you know, she shouldn't get an abortion and they had the little fake baby up there that they were waving around. You know, that little plastic one that they always try to share that little fetus. I'm like, damn, selective attention, I guess. Selective outrage, right? What this woman that I was going out with at the time, one did was to get her results
to an STD. And where she went to was an abortion clinic. And she came back and she said, well, I'm all cleared up now. You're talking about a hollow meal? I didn't say one word throughout that whole meal. I couldn't wait to get her ass back home. And when I did, I dropped her off and kept on moving. Fellas, there are some women out there. <laughs> they have no shame. They don't care. Now, I'm not saying she had to be shameful or remorseful, but she could at least told me what was up. Her last boyfriend gave her something. Well, the way I looked at it, odds are in my favor if I don't fuck her. I kept those odds in my favor. You have to be very selective because some of these women have agendas. It's not that women are evil and you have a lot of uh, people in the manosphere that say, oh, women are evil. No, they're not evil. It's about what they're exposed to. Just like with men, ladies. If you meet a schemer, trust me. He perfected his craft from other schemers. He was taking notes along the way from somebody else. He didn't come out the womb that way. But some people want to believe that. You know, because we get that whole thing, oh, we're born in sin and all this other shit. Hmm. Somebody's born in sin that's sitting there crying, shitting on themselves, pissing on themselves. They has to have someone to assist them. I don't think so. Called a baby. Now, let's look at a few other things here. Some of the fears that men have when it comes down to certain women. And this is based on some of the things you've written in and some of the messages you left over the last few years. I kind of made a compilation of it, about 10 of them. One of them is a low information female. She makes decisions on how she feels more than the facts. The next one, a woman is not abreast with current affairs of any sort. The next one, A person who responds and has no impulse control. Spontaneous. Ready to jump the gun on anything. The other one. Someone who's very opinionated but don't have the facts to back those opinions up. And this could be on things where there are facts there, but they'd rather go with their opinion. A group thinker, a person that can't think for themselves, but someone else may be the guiding light for them. They have to be led. Cherry picker, cherry picker on facts, cherry picker on things such as she wants to be independent one minute, but she wants to be dependent on the man the next. 
very nebulous in her thinking and her decision making. Which leads to the next one, poor decision maker. A person who tries to get attention through nonsensical, nonsensical, damn, debates and arguments. Well, they're not making any sense, but the thing is, they're more encouraged to do so because that's their way of getting attention. They want to get the guy's attention. They say something that's totally absurd, and now they're engaged in the conversation. That gets old. The overuse of sarcasm. Keep telling you ladies about that. The woman who looks at education as an abomination. In other words, she lowers the bar on everything because her opinion matters more than fact. Poor life choices. Not just one or two, we're talking a whole lifestyle of poor life choices. And the last one. A person who always tries to put themselves above above others when she's on the same plane as those very people that she tries to subjugate. These are 10 of the most common things that men don't like about women. From what people have written into this show and left messages about. You notice there was not anything on here about the way a woman looked. This was all about behavior. And I keep telling women, if you spend more time developing your character and personality as you do the way you look. You can get any man you want. See, with that physical side, you're only going to get the man that you may deem attractive and he may deem you attractive, but you don't have anything else beyond that. A handsome man with a hard dick, you can find that anywhere. But see, for some reason, some of you think that you're going to find a whole package in one guy with one fell swoop and one decision. Yeah, a lot of guys used to think that with women. Hell, I used to think that about women. Until I got past the facade. And then I realized... I really don't have shit. I got a pretty face. I could put her in the front seat of the car and have all the guys say, oh man, good looking out. Hey, she fine. But not have any quality. I'd rather have a mediocre woman who had a great sense of self or a plain Jane that had a great sense of self over that fine ass woman that every guy is gawking at. Some of you ladies see guys with these women, plain janers, and you're like, how the hell did she get him? Oh, she must be doing things in the bedroom to get him. No. Nine times out of 10, he could trust her over you any day. 
that's the thing. Why do you think these wives are so confident when the man cheats on them? And he cheats on her with a woman that's finer than she is. And he still comes back home. A lot of people think, oh, well, you know, he got a lot to lose. He'll have child support to pay, alimony to pay. He'd have to sell the properties and all that. Mm -mm. Because, see, that woman knows she made a good choice in the man, even though he had indiscrepancies along the way. Because she knows that he knows where home is. He's coming back. She knows what leverage she has against him. And she's not going to give that up. You got to ask yourselves, which one is worse? Which one is worse? Knowing what the outcome of something is or not knowing what it is. Those women that stay with their cheating husbands, they have the leverage. You can look at Hillary Clinton. The Republicans were pissed off at her because she didn't leave Bill Clinton because of Monica Lewinsky. But what did she realize? I have more clout. I stay with them. Because forever in a day in this relationship, he's going to be trying to make good on that. Those indiscretions in the past were kind of cloaked and private. This was public. And I guarantee you, combined, they wouldn't trade the lifestyle they have now compared to her being by herself. Right? So don't be so quick to criticize those women that stay with their cheating husbands or even some of these men that stay with their wives. Sometimes they have it like that. Because you never know what happens behind closed doors, do we? We can only speculate and assume. Just like I just did there. I'm not in the Clinton's home or anything, but I'm just observing externally some of the leverage she had. And I remember somewhere she had an interview where she said something to the effect of she was doing what Eleanor Roosevelt did because Franklin cheated on Eleanor with his secretary. And I think Franklin D. Roosevelt was his, she was Franklin D. Roosevelt's, his wife was his third cousin, I believe. She was related to him. And that's not uncommon, especially back during that time, because they had this thing called blue bloods, which derived from Europe, mainly places like Spain, meaning that the royalty, the aristocracy in Spain, they were pale. And you could see their blue veins. The darker skinned people, I'm not talking about African-American, I'm talking about, or black, I'm talking about the darker-skinned Spaniards, Europeans, they were the people that actually worked outside. And so therefore, in order to keep the hierarchy going, they in America. 
They happened in many of the dynasties. And they were all related in some kind of way. The Habsburgs, the Windsors, which Queen Elizabeth's families associated with, Mr. Soul, Catherine the Great. They all had lineage through marriage. So, what do we do today on a lower scale? We have people that will not marry other people of a different class. Not to mention race, not to mention ethnicity. They won't do it. I had an interesting uh, conversation with a friend of mine years ago. It was a Nigerian couple. They were from Houston. She was white. He was black. They had Nigerian children. Well, you know, biracial children. And um, the problem they had was when he would take her back to Nigeria, back to Lagos, the family did not care for her much. They were cordial, but they really weren't like bands of her. And she would wear the traditional garb. And she told me one day that it's very hard for her to fit in and how she's tried. And the problem was her husband wouldn't stand up for her. He respected his elders and you know, whatever they said went down and that pretty much was it. This is not the first time I've heard of something that's happening, like this happening. There was a gentleman that wrote in, he was Punjabi, and his wife was Caucasian from the UK. And his family was not pleased about him not being with a Punjabi woman. And she was trying to culturally appropriate by you know, dressing in a traditional garb, that kind of thing. And some people found it insulting. You know, it was just like during the 1970s, when you see a few white folks walking around in daishikis. And see, black folks then, we called ourselves Afro-Americans, because we wore the Afros. Some people had them blowed out. And see, folks with the blowout, for those of you too young to remember, or weren't there at that time. It was a hot comb, and you put it through your hair, and it'll make your hair blow out to a nice afro. And it would stay that way as long as you didn't sweat or let it get wet. So you had to make sure during the springtime, especially in Mississippi, that you had an umbrella. And the humidity would also make it shrink a bit. But after you got it done the first time, that stuff was out there, man. It was like, boom. Had so much hair, it looked like a damn globe. 
And some of the guys tried to be slick and had their hair braided so they'd play basketball. And the shit would still shrivel up. Well, it was kind of weird then because they wanted to identify with Africa by wearing the dashiki, but they didn't want to be called African. And they walked around in these panatella slacks or these uh, gabardine slacks with either floor some shoes on or some stacks. Stacks were these platform shoes. Had these big ass uh, soles and heels on them. And you had to be careful where you walked. Because if you stepped on cobblestone or anything like that, shit, you could break your ankle and probably bust your ass very quickly. And then they used to have what they called cornbread stacks. Those were the shoes that had like a real light tan or beige sole. And what people would like to do is wear jeans sometimes where the jeans would cover the shoe completely and you'd just see the bottom of the platform. Those were bell bottoms. Hey, we were wardrobely challenged back then. And one of the things I used to love to wear, I had this, I had a couple of them, the Casanova shirt. And they had these bellows at the bottom of the sleeves, long sleeve. And it was made out of silk. Now you didn't want to sweat too much in Mississippi, even though it was humid during the summers and during the spring, because you didn't want to get musty. <laughs> so if you went to a dance or somewhere like that, you wanted to kind of just chill on the dancing a little bit, just dance a little slow. You didn't want to be that dude that was slinging sweat. Because you had to worry about your blowout shrinking. And they had this thing called pork chop sideburns. Oh, and the guys would go and they would, they would comb the sideburns. And then you try to get your sideburns to connect to your goatee and then to your mustache. And then some of them couldn't quite make it there because the shit would just like say, you know, fuck it halfway. And then they'd have to kind of cut it, make it look even. whole different style of grooming back then. And the biggest colognes at that time was High Karate, Group 33, and then they came out with Group 33 with the blue bottle. They had the green bottle and they had the blue bottle. You had the blue bottle and you put the shit. And then they had um, British Sterling, English Leather, I'm going way back. Some of you right now are probably laughing your asses off because you know you had to wear that shit. Hey, J.C. Penney's was a fashion statement back then. But you knew your wardrobe was fucked up if you went to Montgomery Ward. <laughs> J.C. Penney had half-ass style, but if you went to damn the Montgomery Ward, your shit was fucked for clothes. And Sears, too. They used to have these jeans called tough skin jeans. You put on them fuckers, I guarantee your knees will wear out before you get a hole in those jeans. I don't know what the hell they made it with. I think it made it with that damn canvas they make tents out of in the military. 
they had a knee socket to go out. But it was a whole different world back then. They had this company called Western Auto that used to send out catalogs. And Western Auto was the precursor to what is now today considered Amazon. And you could order stuff through the catalog. And they had all kind of shit in there. Anything you can imagine. From generators all the way down. Bringing back some memories for some of you folks. How many of you remember SNH green stamps? Well, you'd be collecting them fuckers. Have a whole book full. And every community that I can think of had a welcome wagon. Well, we went through some shit. Look, when I was growing up, we're going back nostalgic for a little bit. When I was growing up, they used to have cigarette commercials on TV. The Marlboro Man. And they used to have these long form ass commercials. Like for instance, they were promoting a Galaxy 500, Ford Galaxy 500. The guy would stop at a Phillips 66 gas station. And while the guy is filling up his tank, see they used to actually have people that would pump your gas for you and wipe your windshields and check your tire pressure. People used to do that for you. And in the commercial, the guy would open up a carton of, I mean, a pack of uh, Winston cigarettes and talk about the cigarettes and talk about the Phillips 66 gas and talk about the Ford Fairlane or the 500 that he had purchased. We didn't even have to wear seat belts back then, which was dangerous as hell. Speed limit, I think, was 70 miles an hour. Cars were made out of steel. I mean, you had to have some big money to get a car with fiberglass, like a Corvette. You know, that didn't come about until the 70s. But then they had this car called the Roadrunner. And it had this big ass uh, bar on the top of it. And every car you bought had a vinyl top. Nobody wanted a regular hard top. They wanted vinyl on there. Didn't realize that later on, that ship started rotting, you had to replace it. The tires that you had on your car. Oh boy, let me tell you something. You had big money when you had steel belted radial tires. Mm-mm. You're going to have those core tires. And they had these tires called retreads, like they have on the trucks today. And basically, what would happen, they'd take glue and glue on the tread of the tire to the car. And that worked fine until it got real hot. And you're driving down the freeway and all of a sudden you look back and your tire is like in the middle of the street and you're going and you had to pull over and change the tire, use a spare. And back then they didn't have a small spare, they had a big ass full spare that you had to put on with a bumper jack. And that was no joke. 
Jack, your car could change a damn tire. And a lot of people didn't realize you had to go and loosen the bolts, loosen the lugs before you lifted the car to make it easier for you. There's a lot of shit people had to go through. But we did it. We persevered. We're going to talk more in just a moment. Well, folks, it's come down now to two teams that will come out winners today. And I'm going to be quite honest with you, because I think one game starts at 12 and the other one starts at 3 today. I am pulling for, between Kansas City and Buffalo and uh, Baltimore, I'm pulling for Baltimore. Reason being, the Steelers and the Ravens have always had beef. That's been an ongoing thing. Don't know why it's always been the case. But... I think we would come out better with the underdog. Now, as you guys probably remember, on December 5th, the Ravens beat the uh, Chiefs. They have a better team than the Chiefs do. So, I'm pulling in that direction. Now, when it comes to the second game at three. Detroit versus the 49ers. I'm going with Detroit and I'll tell you why. One, the only thing Detroit has to do is cover that middle secondary. That's pretty much it. And rush. That's it. We just got to make sure the safeties and the defensive backs are in the positions they need to be. They stand a good chance of win. See, here's the thing. If they can cut Debo off in the middle from getting that yardage, they're in pretty good shape. So, my underdog is the Lions. And what I'm going for with my picks is... Baltimore versus the Lions. I think that'd be a hell of a matchup. Even though everybody's pulling for the 49ers, just like they're pulling for Kansas City. We'll see. Stranger things have happened. But I don't think the Lions are going to make it this far. i just say, you know what? It's okay that we made it. The Lions are a hungry team. They are out for their pound of flesh. I just wish um, these would have come around when Barry Sanders was playing with them. Because he had that action. He just needed the rest of the ensemble. But now that they have it, I'm happy for them. Just had to get that off my chest a little bit. Now, there are a couple of things that 
we could look at here. I'm dead, I was observed. Cost of living is going up, as we know, folks. Some of it's justified, most of it's not. And what I was looking at, they're estimating that it's 30% of your income should go to rent or housing. That's not a hell of a lot. Even when I was in California at one point, 70% of my income went to housing. And of course, in many areas, cost of living is like ridiculous, especially in Southern Cal. When it comes to an automobile, it should only be 3% of your wealth. So, let's say you have a million dollars. Well, 30% of your wealth would be 300,000, right? So, what would 3% be? $30,000. That would be the vehicle you could really afford based on your percentage of wealth. Now, what would this mean? It wouldn't buy you much. It'll get you a modest, brand new car. And that's the reason why I couldn't understand why some of these people, when they would get money, like a million dollars, they'd want to go out and buy a $300,000 Rolls Royce. Something that's never going to appreciate in value unless it's some sort of limited edition. Unless you like Jay-Z and spend millions of dollars for a edition of an automobile where there are only five million. But it's up to you on that. That depends on your priorities or how you got them structured. What's important to you? What may make you think you will need this in order to go forward? to be considered whole. Now, as you know, we're talking about ultimatums and relationships. And some of you have written in about some of the things, man, that poof, some of you guys got your backs against the wall. Let me tell you, put your back up against the wall. Dance, come on. And it's really disturbing. Some of the demands you've written in about. One thing I want to tell you guys. Never allow someone to tell you this. When you make a certain amount of money, Oh, when you become famous or wealthy, look me up. No need to. They already told you what you're worth to them at that point, right? Now, 
the reason why I bring this up in particular, there are actually some people out there that think they're so entitled that they're basically telling you, hold their place in line. So if you become wealthy or famous or something of that sort, that they can just go and cut in front of you and have the entitlement that they thought they should have. Meanwhile, you're doing all the struggling, the work and the suffering. And they just want to be there for the accolades in the photo op, right? Uh-uh. Fellas, I don't care how much you like a woman. If she's turned you if she's turned you down before you became successful or on your way to success, don't ever bring her back in your life. She serves no purpose in it whatsoever. Same thing for you ladies. You're busting your ass. You're going on with your career and you finally make it. Then all of a sudden, he stumble fucking into your life talking about we, us, our. Uh-uh. No. Mm-mm. And see, you can't afford to take that risk. Because the only thing that person's going to do is set you back more than likely and embarrass you because it's all about them. I remember one time in particular, I was out with Monica and we had gone to this event, some kind of fundraiser for some charity. And there was this lady that was with this guy and apparently the guy was a, had means, had money. And the lady was kind of awkward and we could tell that, you know, they weren't really a couple for very long. And she was still kind of learning the ropes, so to speak. Oh, but she was working the room. I mean, she was in everybody's face, shaking her hands, giving hugs and things like that. And everybody he introduced her to, she would pair off with that person. And I could tell he was becoming annoyed by that because those were the people he knew. And of course, she was stopped chasing. And that was one thing that Monica told me. She says, you never need to do that. She said, when you do that, people think less of you. And what usually happens in those kind of circles the person that got them to the event, they'll kind of discard them and try to get with people that they can make connections with and bypass the person that got them there. That's not a good look. Especially if those folks know that you did that. They're not giving you their phone number. They're not interacting with you on that level. That other person was the who was the heavy is their friend, you're nothing more than just somebody off the street. And once they get embarrassed, then it jeopardizes that person from being invited to events. And I've seen that happen personally. Monica had events at her place and I have seen people get X'd out off the list. 
Oh, he can come, but he can't bring her with him. Oh, we just want to invite them at all. She can come, but she can't bring him. And some of these people know this. And so they come to events without their partner. Or without someone that they had brought to another event because they embarrassed them. We do that and we're not wealthy. We do that as regular people, don't we? People we don't want to invite to our events, we leave them out. Now, one thing that men you will get ultimatums on, birthdays. If she starts telling you she won't accept the gift for less than, let's say a thousand dollars, and you haven't known her a thousand days, really? A friend of mine used to have this philosophy where he would only get a gift based on how long they've been together at a dollar per day. Interesting perspective he had. If they'd been together a year, it'd be no more than $365. And that's the way he would do it. To each his own practice, right? But there's some people that actually demand things. And because maybe the father would, you know, coddle them. Maybe they would get weaker men that would go out and whatever they wanted, they got. Something else. A friend of mine's nephew was faced with a dilemma. Because his new girlfriend wanted a pair of Jordans. They're pretty expensive for a kid, for a teenager. That's what she wanted for her birthday. Well, his dad, of course, said no. And the girl had no use for him. She broke up with him. And he's been heartbroken over it ever since. And his father brought up a good point from what my friend told me. He said, he told his nephew, you're not wearing Jordan. Now, I took it back down memory lane because there was a whole different style and culture back then with society. See, women were very respectful. You wouldn't find women with write-ups. You know, those jeans where they would be cut so high past the nape of their butt where it would meet half of their butt so you had the bottom half of it hanging out, which I used to love to see in the, back in the 1980s, especially in L.A. But it was kind of sad when a woman didn't have any booty and she still wore them. Yeah. Poor child needed help. But back then, the women usually wore kneeling skirts. And see, it wasn't a big thing for women to have their own style. They're going to Ebony Magazine or maybe Jet 
And they'll see a woman wearing a wig, they'll go and put the wig on. They're going to buy one. They wanted Afro puffs, they'll just go get the clip on the Afro puffs. They wanted a ponytail, they couldn't grow one, they go buy one and have it attached. Some women decided to go completely bald and put the skull cap on. Some did that. But see, the thing that was so beautiful about that period was that women had their own style, individual women. So you wouldn't see four or five women with the same hairstyle. Like you see all these women with weaves and they're going out. You wouldn't see no shit like that back then because they were all diversified. They had their own style. So it was a whole different thing. It was kind of cool. But during that time, women wore the hell out of some wigs because they wanted to look good. And don't let a concert hit town. I remember one night, it was back in 77, summer of 77. I believe it was summer of 77. It was Michael Henderson, Phyllis Hyman, Natalie Cole, and Ashford and Simpson on tour at the Coliseum Jackson, Mississippi. Those sisters were laid. I mean, shit, I was falling in love. Every time I looked at one of them, I was like, damn, she's fine. Damn, she's fine her. Damn, she's the finest. Oh, no, got to take her away from her. The other one just came through the door. But they all had their unique style. And here's the interesting thing. Back then, you saw a lot of darker skinned women. They were proud of who they were. Because women like Judy Pace said it was okay to be who you were. That was one good looking woman. That woman had no idea how bad I wanted to grow up one day and marry her. She was old enough to be my, well, hell, she was almost old enough to be my mom back then. And she was a cutie pie. Because I used to always tell myself, I want to marry her and Sheila Frazier from Superfly. Pam Greer, she was out of my league because Pam Greer looked like that, you know, because I was afraid of her because after seeing some of the roles she played in coffee and stuff, I said, no, she'll kick my ass. She was fine, though. But see, you didn't have, you know, these um, resources like you do now to spread scandals and things like that. Nobody knew that she and Kareem were dating at one point. Because things were kind of kept under wraps. And then when the National Enquirer or one of these other magazines would publish something, everybody put it in question because they like the stars over the gossip. And the reason for that was because of the way these people presented themselves in public. When the AIDS epidemic came out and they found out Rock Hudson was gay, everybody was shocked. But see, now, 
People have cameras everywhere. And then you didn't have that clout chasing thing like you do now. Where they're out just to go and expose people in order to get clout. Now, here's the difference for me. I don't mind a person telling the truth. I have a problem when they're lying in, on somebody else in order to get clout, in order to get airplay. That's why I have a problem. But if they're telling the truth and it's factual, what's the problem? Now, ladies, I know you're looking for a dependable and reliable man, someone you can trust, someone who's honest, someone who has integrity, someone who's accountable, someone who's a provider. But let me tell you a couple of things. You're going to have to look past the shiny metal objects. You're going to have to look past the gold chains, the Jordan sneakers. You're going to have to look past the nice cars. You're going to have to look past the elaborate homes. And you better start looking at the character of the man first. Or else you're going to wind up like one of these women who went for what they wanted in the beginning and maybe they got a child in the lifestyle or a taste of it things didn't work out and now in the second half of their life they're looking for the man that they need because as I tell you men and women go in opposite approaches men usually go for the woman they need first the one to lift their self esteem make them feel better about themselves give them confidence, to give them bragging rights among the fellows so that they can get some affirmation. However, things don't work out and she leaves him. Then he'll go for the woman he wants in order to try to make good. And that woman that he wants may not be the right woman for him. She may be the one that's using him. She may be the one that's putting him through hoops. This is not an uncommon cycle for some people. And it's very difficult to get the person you want and need in the same package. And that's where vetting comes in. That's when holding the partner accountable. <coughs> that's when it comes into you're not making excuses for him. Because, see, some of you ladies have written in, you've been so tired of damn excuses from your partner until you're blue in the face. Well, you've been trying to put up these excuses in order to save face with your family, with your friends, with your co-workers. But sometimes you got to face that you might just have a jackass in your life and you made a bad choice. And no, and no matter what you do, you can't fix it. As some of you wind up getting stuck in your 20s trying to fix a guy. And by the time you're in your 40s, you realize you can't. And then you're 
resentful for all those years you've wasted. What you're gonna have to learn is, before you try to save your marriage and anything else, you need to try to save yourself first. Because you're no good to that marriage if you haven't saved yourself. You're no good to your kids if you haven't saved yourself. Because you gotta be there for them. But until you do that, you're throwing yourself away. You wind up being one of these women that go and get their yoga mat and go and have all these inspirational quotes and having all this chai tea and everything. You don't have to do all that shit. As long as you're true to yourself and realize what you're contending with, and it is, I hate to say, what it is that you're dealing with. As long as you're grounded in that reality, and you try to work through it, you'll be in better shape than a lot of these women that are trying to rediscover themselves at 40 or 50. Because you'll be more grounded. I know because I've dated many of you that were grounded over the years. And I tell you one thing, you guys have more of a solid foundation than a lot of these people that are still using escapist mechanisms. Everything is not gloom and doom just because you're being a realist, because you're looking at things as they are. There are positive aspects of it that comes out. See, the biggest thing you got to keep in mind, when you discover yourself, as you're going through these things. And then you look at, well, you know, I'm amazed I did this. I made a compromise on this, or I stood my ground on this. And you start feeling better about yourself. Pat yourself on the back at that time. Acknowledge it. Don't ignore it, because see, some of you ladies do this and you ignore it and never look at some of the things you've accomplished. These are milestones that you will have in your growth and development as a woman. So if things don't work out in your marriage, guess what you're not? You're not walking around with your bottom lip over your nose, angry at the world. With your two insides that's hanging out both corners. See, a lot of women that come out of bad marriages and relationships, what's the first thing that they usually want to get back? Their self-respect and dignity. Because they've gone too far doing something that was unwarranted. You've done the counseling. You have done everything physically possible that you could in order to make that relationship work. And there's some men out there, some of you fellas out there that have done that same shit. You're dealing with a non-participatory partner. They want you to do all the work. 
and you're still trying to make it work. You love this person, you love your family, you want it to work. But at some point, reason is gonna to have to prevail. But you're gonna run out of feelings and you will run out of lies and excuses. Being placated. As I told you before, the worst lie you could ever tell is to yourself. The second worst lie you could ever tell is on someone else. The third worst lie is to someone else. So, you want to keep yourself in a place where you can grow. Whether you're a man or a woman in a relationship, that should be one of your priorities going into a relationship. How can I grow with this person? Is this person willing to grow with me? Or are they going to be static and stay where they are and never go beyond the scope of where they are? And I don't mean necessarily by career or anything like that. I'm talking about when it comes down to changes in life. Are you going to be with a 40-year-old person still trying to cling on, cling on to being a 21-year-old? They have a fear of aging. And they're trying to get rid of you because you're in their same peer group but you are age appropriate and they're not. There was a lady that used to go to this one spot that we used to go out to and she was married. She was in her mid forties and her husband he dressed conservatively like he was in his 40s. Business suits, so forth. Very nice guy, stand-up guy. His wife, when she would come to the club sometime without him, she would go and sit in these younger men's laps, that kind of thing, and give them kisses and all this other stuff. Because she still wanted to have that lifestyle. Still wanted to be there. Now, I don't know whether or not she slept with any of these guys. But I do know one thing for sure. She dressed totally different when he was with her. She was age appropriate when she was with him. When he wasn't around, oh, she was in that miniskirt with the split up the front. Stilettos. And you have some people that just haven't grown up. Now, true enough, she probably did that for attention in order to make herself feel better because she probably didn't get it growing up and she probably doesn't get it from her marriage. But that's something that needs to be taken care of at home. As I told you before, the worst thing you could ever do is get into a relationship where you're dealing with a crisis right in the beginning. where you guys are struggling, starting out. But you're not struggling struggling individually, but you will struggle when you're together, financially. 
Save up a few dollars. Maybe work on your career a little bit more. And then talk about being together. You can still be loyal to each other. And you can still have a better start. I've seen couples that stayed at home with their parents. The girl stayed at home with her parents. He stayed at home with his. And saved up money, paid off cars. Paid down student loan debt. Put away money to get their place. And then when they got together, it was like they had everything planned. Because they lived beneath and between their means within them. See, where a lot of people get in trouble, our eyes get bigger than our wallets. Now, boy, once that happens, hmm, that's one of the components that cost Jimmy Carter his presidency when he ran again. He gave the American people a lecture one time, a speech during the financial crisis, the gas crisis. For those of you folks don't know, it used to be a time in this country where you had odd and even tag numbers on your car. That meant that you could go and get gas. And a lot of guys would go, people would go and fill their car up and the lines were very long no matter where you went to get gas. And so you had to make it last. And now most of the cars during that time were gas guzzlers. I mean, if you got 12, 13 miles to the gallon, you did something. And people were still trying to get adjusted to the unleaded fuel. Because I remember when unleaded first came out, I think it was in 73. I was driving a 69 Skylark with a straight six Chevy engine in it. Don't you know I damn near ran out of gas looking for a place that had lit gasoline because I didn't trust the unleaded. I was like, oh, it's going to mess my car up because it doesn't have the potency of leaded gasoline. But then again, when I started driving, gas was starting at 19 cents a gallon. And then it went up to 29, and then 39, then 59, and then it went up to 69 cents, and people started to complain a lot. Well, when it went up to 59, people started to complain. And then when it got up to a dollar, that was it. We thought we were getting ripped off. Then a dollar fifty. By the time I was in California, it was up to two dollars or something, two dollars and fifty something cent a gallon. But still, during that time, you could put twenty bucks in your car, you were straight. Then it got to where you had to put forty in. Now, hell, you got to damn near put a hundred in. So, in those incremental steps. The cost of dating changed. See, back then, when I talk about the date, the mixers, singles mixers, you know, for the most part, they were like anywhere from ten to twenty dollars a month. And you can get a membership, and you could go to any of the mixers that that particular organization or company had. And they'd have them at different places, 
Long Beach, Seal Beach, Newport Beach. It was usually beach areas. They might have one in Diamond Bar, or they would have one in Inland Empire. Or you could be the annual. The annual could be on different levels. Basically what you want, based on the kind of crowd you want to be around. But that was one of the resources that we used before they had the um, online dating thing. And then you had things such as speed dating, which was popular in the 90s, which was a waste of time. Because you didn't really have a chance to get to know the person or nothing like that. So we saw the transition. And then when flavored water became the trend, jazzercising became the trend during the 80s. And then that was like uh, in LA, you were somebody, if you had a 320 BMW, that was the car of the day. To have, had to have a sunroof, of course. And you had to have a block hook stereo in there, or an alpine. And there were women that wouldn't date you if you had a beeper that had a 323 area code. It had to be the 714 310. 818, they'll let you slide. But if you had a 909, mm-mm. women used to tell guys they were poor if they had a 909 area code in their beeper because that meant you live out in San Bernardino County or Riverside County. Yeah, you used to be judged on that. You used to be judged on your zip code. Some women would ask to see your driver's license. They say, I don't believe you're a certain age or whatever. No, what they were looking for actually was to see your address. Looking for your zip code. And if you weren't in a certain zip code, hmm, too bad for you. That shows you how superficial people were during that time. But then again, people change, so do trends. And then they started having breakfast clubs, dinner clubs, basically where groups of people would get together and they would go to places pretty much like people do now with uh, crowd dating, where they decide to go to a certain venue and socialize that way. And then you start seeing the clubs, they started to redesign and rearrange them like take away much of the seating so that the seating was kind of premium choice and they had these choke points where people would have to interact with each other. They put the table so far apart so you had to interact with someone when you passed them by. Anything to promote the dollar. And now you can go online meet a person, have a full-blown conversation with them, get a chance to know them. And when you go on the date, now you have something that you can reference or talk about. You can share things with people, such as links to things you're working on. Couldn't do that back then. You could tell them about it. And then you could probably set up a date and go in, you know, maybe if you played in a band or something like that, that person can come see you. But see, now you could send them 
a link to your YouTube channel where they're doing, where you've done some things. Our terms of that time, but compared to now, you look at going out in Los Angeles for a good date, you'll spend about 450 to 500 easy. Same thing with a lot of these other metropolitan areas. And true enough, you can probably get away with things even cheaper. And what you'll realize in places like New York and California, a lot of people will use discounts and coupons to get in the nice places. And they're not ashamed of it as much. I know in some places it's a status symbol. You have a lot of people that come to California from other parts of the country. And they want to you know, turn their noses up and act like they're part of the environment because of what they've seen on television with the celebrity and all of that stuff. But the people who live in Cali, from Cali, they're not bitten by that bug. So it's no big thing. And then you know how to stay away from tourist traps, that kind of thing. But what I'm getting at overall folks is that the dating environment is a progressionary change the only thing that changes in it is one thing technology believe it or not the people are still static they're still the same type of people that are made over and over again still learning the same things that many people forgot a lot of people that listen to this podcast talk about oh man if i'd have known that or Damn, you know, I had that experience. Well, the experience I had years ago, they're going through now in some cases. And they're realizing, well, shit, it's a circle. It's a big cycle. And that's what it is. That's what it is. We're exposed at different times to the same thing in many cases. The only difference is I'm just standing out as a point of reference and saying out loud what some people are experiencing in silence. That's the distinction. Folks, you've been wonderful. I will talk to you good people on tomorrow. We at Romantic Truth appreciate your listenership. Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those solely of the host and are not condoned or endorsed by Romantic Truth anchor or any of its affiliates the advice given here and is the expressed opinion of the host and not to be used for legal marital or family counseling or for professional practice purposes in the event for professional assistance please contact the local licensed professional family counselor marriage counselor or social services professional in your region if you need someone to talk to in regards to help you may contact the national suicide prevention lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show.
Be advised that all of the background music of production not provided by Anchor is owned by James Adams and Jaws and One Music exclusively licensed for this Romantic Truth podcast under waiver. Please understand that there were no people or animals hurt in the segments of this show including plants. All sound effects were improvised in the studio setting with props. We are an equal opportunity employer with two Yorkie poodles and a rat terrier as the security detail. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.